Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome, everyone, joining us online and in person. Let's just give you a moment to practice the rule of life, some silence and solitude, so that we can hear from this first book of the wisdom literature and have the Holy Spirit speak to us in whatever uh, we might be going through in our lives. exhale all the automatic ruminating thoughts feelings anxieties toxicities that might be weighing us down in this season just give it to the Lord and lay it at the house of the Lord and inhale promise that when we supplicate our anxieties, our fears, our concerns, that he will give us a transcending peace and lift us and help us see what he is doing. All God's people pray. Amen. We'll have Paul come and give us the word today. So first slide. So one of the most frequent questions that I get these days is, are you ready to be a dad? Um, and my first response is usually, I don't know. Uh, we'll see when the baby gets here. Uh, followed by, I'm taking care of the things that are under my control, like finances and space and stuff like that in the house. Uh, but this week, the question really stuck with me. And I thought long and hard about whether or not I was ready. Um, what does it mean for me or someone to be ready for this? And how will I know if I'm ready? Um, so I thought about a lot of questions this week. Obviously, this kind of morphs into so many questions. Um, and I did a lot of soul searching. And I hope that by the end of this message, you, like me, can find rest while living with these questions. So we'll get into it. Um, next slide. So as part of my job, uh, educational training, I study organizations, right? Um, so what they work on, how they work, why they work, how they perform, how they change, all of that stuff. So periodically organizations, because they're made of people and because they exist in an imperfect world, they experience disruptions, crises, major setbacks. It's natural. And whether through challenges in, in the environment or through internal misalignment, um, these events eventually stir up fear, doubt, indecision, 
it's all part of the process. And so in my work, we use maps, such as this one, of related ideas or systems to map organizational symptoms and arrive at a diagnosis, uh, an explanation of why the organization is experiencing what it, what it is that it's currently experiencing. For example, if employee motivation is becoming an issue, it would make sense to look at the individual's needs and values to fix the incentive reward structure, right? Um, or to look for misalignment between the employee's daily tasks and their skill set. If those things are misaligned, obviously motivation is going to plummet. So um, either, yeah. And so the goal is to identify, quote unquote, causal relationships and ultimately root cause so that we can treat whatever organizational, is, uh, organizational issue is causing the disruption. And so while it's impossible to get theoretical ideas and concepts down to causal relationships, we try because clients want simple answers um, to their problems. And why? Because simple problems can be addressed with simple prepackaged solutions so that organizations don't have to do the messy work of trying to understand themselves. So they ask for you know, a diagnosis, we give them a simple diagnosis, and they seem happy. Uh, <laughs> sometimes organizations and people are faced with a crossroad a uh, major decision now or in the near future uh, that will have a lasting impact on the organization for good or for bad. So should we merge with this organization? Should we spin off this division? Do we keep doing what we're doing or grow our capability in doing something else? And it's during these situations of shock, disappointment, indecision, where organizations and people come to realize that where they currently stand and what they're currently doing or how they are currently performing is not enough. And they begin to ask probing questions, deeper questions, and they begin to wonder if they're on track, if they're headed on the right direction, or if they're investing in the right things. Uh, next slide. So what do we do when, uh, to answer these deeper questions? Well, uh, for organizations, uh, we review the team, we review individual performance, we conduct interviews, uh, we gather information to understand the full situation in order to come up with a series of hypotheses. So we look for areas of disconnect, we look at the mission, the leadership, the culture, we look at incentive structure, we review performance and indicators of performance, and we do all of this to find evidence to support one hypothesis over another, right? Um, and ultimately, when we've burned through the budget and we've explored all that we can in the time allotted, we attempt to succinctly package the problem and the solution. Um, so we come up with a series of recommendations that an organization might take in order to overcome their issues. And um, for example, if the organizational strategy isn't competitive, we change it. If the organization's lacking in certain skills, we hire or we train employees. If or employees are not motivated, we change the incentive structure. It's all very like, if this, then that. It's very robotic. And for organizations that move slowly, these activities might be enough to address a drop in performance, to realign the organization and make it productive again. Next slide. But when a person experiences setback, trauma, or faces a crossroad, it's very different. It's personal, it's emotional, it's painful, and it happens in real time. And so after our initial wave of emotions, we might come back to our senses feeling lost, feeling uncertain of what to do next. And so we find ourselves asking existential questions and longing for answers. Because like organizations, we believe that if I, if I could only figure out why this is happening, or what's happening, or how I ended up here, 
I could calculate the optimal next step to take, then maybe things would be different. Then maybe things would be better. And that's our hope. Next slide. So we're going to go into the story of Job, uh, a person of faith from long ago who asked and lived difficult questions uh, was Job. And one day, we read this on the screen, but he loses his children, his assets, and his health. And then the same chapter, we're told that he was a blameless and upright man who feared God and turned away from evil. And so the calamity brought into his life was not from his own doing, right? Um, it wasn't a consequence of his sin, but a supernatural bet that was taking place in heaven for reasons that are unknowable to Job or anyone. And there are bystanders. And we didn't read this part, but I'm going to summarize basically the book of Job. There are bystanders and onlookers onto the story. Job's wife, three friends that eventually become four friends. And Job's wife, also having lost children and assets and seeing Job with boils all over his body, she wants to call it quits. Job 1.9, this, then this wife said to him, do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And Job's friends hear the news of his troubles and they come visit him. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, they met together to go and console him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him and they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes, they threw dust up in the air on their heads, and they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw his suffering was very great. Verse 12, 13. And after seven days, still in pain, Job curses the day that he was born, regretting having lived long enough to experience such trauma, and then one by one, his friends begin to speak. Next slide. So for 25 chapters, Job and his friends go back and forth in dialogue, uh, exploring a series of deep related questions, questions that are foundational to our understanding of God, the character of God, and the way that God operates in this world. And the story of Job asks, is God just? Is God fair? Does God rule the world with justice? And if God rules the world with justice, then what's happening to Job? So those are the questions that are explored in the book of Job. Um, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, explores a similar set of questions. If God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. So like Job and C.S. Lewis, in situations of pain and uncertainty, uh, we begin to question what it is that we believe. And one by one, Job's friends, great friends, explain Job's situation to him. They say to him something like this. You know, Job, I sat here for seven days. I've observed you, thinking about your situation. And we know that God is just, right? We know that God rules the world with fairness. The, the righteous are rewarded, the guilty are punished. The problem isn't with God. The problem is with you. You must have done something wrong to deserve this pain. And the friends accuse Job of hypothetical sins um, that Job must have committed to deserve God's wrath. And Job hears this. And, you know, we see that Job really struggles. Uh, Job wants to believe that God is wise and just, that God rules with justice. 
but tragedy and constant physical pain cause him to doubt in God's goodness. And so Job accuses God of being reckless, unfair, and corrupt. And just as an aside, there's such a great temptation to be like Job's friends, to see a situation and immediately offer simple answers to explain away the pain, you know, being a consultant, um, to quickly come to the defense of God, the church, tradition, or whatever it is that we're called to defend, because we would rather give explanations and sit patiently in the mess alongside with the afflicted and share in the pain ourselves. So we see the problem, we see a problem to be solved and miss someone's reality that must be lived. Next slide. So at the end of 25 chapters of dialogue, Job demands that God come and explain himself in person, and God does. He comes in the form of a great storm cloud and reveals to Job the depth of God's care and wisdom. It's a beautiful set of chapters at the end of Job. You should definitely read it. But um, God essentially shows Job the cosmos and his consideration for everything in the universe. And in Job 42, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. This experience of meeting with God um, leaves Job in a place of humility. And un unlike his friends, you know, God doesn't defend himself in any of it or explain his actions to Job. Instead, God shows Job a glimpse of his care of the world and asks Job simply to trust in his wisdom and his character. So we find that in the story of Job, God does not solve any or all of our problems um, or answer any of Job's questions, but draws us closer to himself. He invites us to live with our questions in the presence of God. And Job is never told why he suffered, but in seeing the work of God, He's able to live in peace and in the fear of the Lord. And so as the book concludes, God tells the friends that they were wrong in their assumption about God and Job's sin. And God honors Job's struggle, his honesty, and his prayer. God restores to Job everything that he has lost, not as a reward for righteousness, but as a gift of grace. Next slide. So all that is to get to this point. Three core points from the story of Job. I believe that there are three spiritual disciplines or practices that we can glean from the book of Job to help us live with our questions in the presence of God and overcome our fear of uncertainty. So Henry Nouwen in his book, Spiritual Direction, calls them the discipline of the heart, the discipline of the book, and the discipline of the church. And different uh, you know, uh, denominations will have different versions of this. I mean, the Wesley has the Wesley and quadrilateral and stuff like that, but um, we'll stick with these three. So the discipline, uh, the discipline of the heart. When people are confronted with pain, roadblocks, and indecision, what do we do? We might find ourselves in the position of Job. And like Job, after seven days, after the initial shock of loss, when we begin to feel lost, we might start asking ourselves and doubting what we believe, asking questions and longing for answers. And as a way to distance ourselves from our lived experience, we might look for explanations. And so we raise why questions that only lead to more questions. But as we've learned from the story of Job, God never answers any of Job's questions. And so we can speculate as to why this might be the case, but God in his infinite wisdom didn't think the answers were necessary. 
So if the point of raising questions is not to get answers, what is the point? It happens so naturally for Job that we miss the spiritual discipline, but the spiritual discipline is this. Are we able to cry out to God? To run to God in prayer with our questions, with our doubt, with our messy emotions? Or do we hide ourselves from God and from others, presenting only those parts of ourselves that we're proud of? Prayer is crying out to a God who loves us. And <clears throat> while that might seem obvious, oftentimes we hide in fear of judgment. Um, Henry Nouwen writes this, when we enter into the presence of God and start to sense the huge reservoir of fear in us, we want to run away in many distractions uh, that our busy world offers abundantly. But we should not be afraid of our fears. We can confront them. We can give words to them. We can cry out to God and lead our fears into the presence of the one who says, do not be afraid, it is I. Uh, prayer helps us stand in the presence of God with all that we have in our and our fears and our anxieties, our guilt and our shame, our fantasies, our greed, our anger, our joys, successes, aspirations, and hopes, our reflections, dreams, and mental wanderings, and most of all, our family, friends, and enemies. All of, all of that makes us who we are. But bringing our fears and all that we are before God, being honest with him, doesn't happen overnight. How can we approach God with difficult things if we don't regularly approach him with easy things? So the discipline of prayer is about constantly going back to our first love, back to the place of core identity. Job was not afraid to confront God with his pain, with his doubt, with his questions, with his rage and his sorrow. Job did not hide his frustration from God, and God was okay with that. God was okay with everything that was going on in Job's innermost being. So the discipline of the heart, the practice of prayer, is about bringing all of ourselves to God again and again. And it's not about understanding or getting an answer from God. Our understanding or our ability to understand does not save us. It's about running to the one that can save. Presenting real fears and questions to God. And seeing, as Job did, that God is present and working beyond our understanding. And as Henry Nouwen says, you know, this is a very difficult task because in our world, we're constantly pulled away from our innermost self and we're encouraged to look for answers outside of ourselves. Next slide. Okay, I can make it. Uh, two more points. All right, the second spiritual discipline that we can glean from Job is the discipline of the book. If the discipline of the heart is about entering into prayer, then the discipline of the book is about knowing to whom I pray. So knowing what God is like is so important that for 25 chapters, Job and his friends debate the character of God. And if we're to learn anything from Job's friends, it's to learn from their zeal to know God. Um, you simply can't argue with someone for 25 chapters unless you've studied. Um, the discipline of the book is about regularly engaging with scripture so that when we encounter God in our personal experience or in history, we recognize God's word. 
The Bible tells us that God is not a distant God, a God to be feared or avoided, a God of revenge, but a God who is moved by our pains and participates in the fullness of our human struggle. God is a compassionate God, and we know this because the Bible tells us this about our God. And at the same time, the Bible reveals to us the hiddenness of God. We learn through Job that God cannot be grasped by the human mind, and the full truth of God escapes our human capacities. But despite our limitations, there is a great temptation for us to explain God. Explain God. There's a great temptation to suggest to myself or others where God is working and where God is not, when God is present and when God is not. But nobody has any special knowledge about God. The fullness of God cannot be limited by any human concept of prediction. God is greater than our mind and heart and perfectly free um, to be revealed where and when God wants. But the good news is that God is looking for us. God is the good shepherd who is looking for the lost sheep. God is the woman who lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and searches for the lost coin until she has found it. God is the father of the prodigal son who runs out to meet him, embraces him, pleads with him, and begs and urges him to come home. All right. And last discipline, discipline of the church. This, this picture is really hard to find. Uh, the, <laughs> the, Third spiritual discipline that we can glean from the book of Job is the discipline of the church. If the discipline of the heart is about bringing our fears and questions to God through prayer, and the discipline of the book is about knowing to whom I pray, then the discipline of the church challenges us to live out and wrestle with our questions in the context of community. Alongside people who, like you, wrestle with questions of pain and suffering. So what does it mean when I say that Engaging with church is a discipline or a practice. It's a discipline because the church, like any other community, is not a place where, I'm, where I always will feel at home. It's not a place where everything will be joyful and pleasant. It's not a place for no hard work or conflict. Job's debate with his friends was hardly a church picnic. It was arguing for 25 chapters. But Job's friends did at least three things right that can be seen in Job too. First, they came to him when he was suffering. Second, they empathized with him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And third, they spent time with him. And verse 13 states that they were with him for seven days before they offered their advice. They commiserated with their friend in silence. But we know from the story that these friends turned out to be miserable comforters. Uh, Job 16, verse two. They rushed to conclusions. They didn't give Job the benefit of the doubt. Their theology insisted that the only reason Job would experience such catastrophe is if he had done something wrong. Um, so the discipline of the church means engaging with the community where I, where I experience forgiveness and celebration. Forgiveness means that I'm willing to forgive the other person, the friends, for not fulfilling my needs and desires, my need for love, my need for validation. And community is where we go to practice forgiving someone not seven times, but 77 times. When we can forgive our friends, the church, for not being God, then we can celebrate the moments that they do reflect God and enflesh God's great love. The church is where we gather to celebrate together when people do embody the gifts of the Spirit and reflect God. And it's in the commitment to forgiveness and celebration where we witness the active presence of God in history and in community. 
So to recap, the book of Job highlights three spiritual disciplines. The discipline of the heart, which is about bringing our fears and questions to God through prayer. The discipline of the book, which is about studying the word and allowing it to reveal to whom I pray. And the discipline of the church, which challenges us to live out and wrestle with these questions in the context of community, practicing forgiveness and celebration. And so I'm going to close uh, with just this last um, thing. So I began the sermon with the question, are you ready to be a dad? And as I was writing the sermon and thinking about this question, I texted my sister-in-law. Um, and it's up on the screen. I won't read it aloud, but I can't make it. I can't make it. I, I won't read it aloud, but I'll summarize it this way. Um, I don't know what kind of child Prisca will grow up to be or what kind of parents Grayson I will become. But I can place my fears before God again and again whenever anxiety and uncertainty creep up on me. I don't know how often or how badly Grayson and I will fail at being loving parents, but the Bible reassures me of God's great love for Prisca. And I don't know if the support of the community will be enough, but we can learn to forgive and when it isn't. We can learn to forgive when it isn't and celebrate when it is. And so if I could ask PSAM to come up. <laughs> Powerful finish. Let's all stand together. often wonder what it was like the day after the resurrection. The disciples were actually still lost, <laughs> believe it or not. They asked Jesus after spending many days, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus in his glorified body, glowing, like he just came from an amazing spa. I mean, he was immaculate. Jesus was like, guys, that's not the point. They go, well, Jesus, when are you going to make Israel great again? I have these questions. I have these tensions about what scripture was talking about. And Jesus doesn't answer their question. He actually it annoyingly ignores it and says, just wait for the Holy Spirit, please. Don't go to the world and export this stuff until the third person of the Trinity comes because you're going to need a guide. I think uh, Henry Nowen and Paul's exposition of the journey of the heart and the disciplines of the heart is so important because the resurrection did not culminate the world becoming right even after 2,000 years. We see systemic injustice. Um, I think Paul's idea of the church, and especially when he reads Bonifer, he cries a lot. Because the idea of community is, and I, I tried to 
really embody this in my own life. That's why I think it's not healthy for ministers or leaders to try to be something they're not. And I think it's important for us to model that ambiguity and doubt and, and being real and raw with our questions. Because the truth is we're not going to get all the answers in this life. And I'm sorry to tell you, there will be no culmination in this life. There will be small ones, but not the ultimate where you feel everything is right. Or why would we need faith at all if you had absolute certainty and you received everything you hoped for? Then you would be at an end. So the tension and the ambiguity and the questions are part of the journey. And part of the hurt, even in the community, right? Jesus had to experience the greatest pain for others to be healed. And for many of us, our greatest healing will come from others' greatest pain. So today, would you uh, come to the Father with me where everything is not made right after the resurrection? Would you lift your hands with me today? A stack of habit with worship and prayer. And will you give these questions and doubts and these tensions? I love, uh, I love that, that last bit. We'll forgive the church when they don't demonstrate God's love and fail to. I mean, what a great response, right? Like, when people fail, we'll forgive. Now, that's a good spiritual habit. And I love the other part. When... When it does reflect God's love, we'll celebrate it. So I pray today, folks, <laughs> that through forgiveness and through celebrations, we'll grow closer to one another and closer to God and together anticipate when God one day will fulfill his promise and make everything right. Because he will in his time. So let's make this our prayer.
Father, we come to you the week after the resurrection. And we see the kingdom here, but not yet fully here. We see things in our lives that are broken, that are healing, but not fully healed. We see relationships that are not fully mended. We see misunderstandings and brokenness in our world. Things that are systemically incorrect and just and, and malice running wild rampant at times. And again, it reminds us why we need the Holy Spirit to guide us with the discipline of the heart, the discipline of the book, and the discipline of the church. So, Father, I bless in Jesus' name today our doubts, our tensions, our frustrations. I bless those things today. I give permission in Jesus' name for us to grapple with those things so we can bring growth. And I bless arguing about our viewpoints of how things should be and how things are not and how we're misunderstood. I pray, I pray that you bless the arguments. And then God, I pray that you bless the community the discipline of the church, showing up is difficult. Forgiveness is difficult. We saw it on the cross, how hard it was to forgive. But we pray that you make us more like Jesus. And one day, God, as we progress in our journey with you, we believe by faith, because who hopes for what they already have with absolute certainty? No, we have faith that you will, in your time, make all things beautiful. Restore the beauty of all things. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Hello, everyone. Happy Sunday. My name is Grace, and I'm a member here at 180 Church, and I will be sharing some community news with you. So first off, um, if you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and tithe faithfully. You can send your offerings via Venmo, Zelle, Chase Quick Pay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor here with us today, we are so happy that you're here um, and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods just mentioned. Okay. And next, we have all the ways we can stay connected with God and others in this community throughout the week. So we have the Bible reading group uh, on IG at 180BRG, where you can join us anytime to read the Bible. We also have a um, number of other platforms such as 
our church's Facebook page, Dr. Sammy's Twitter, our YouTube page, um, where a lot of you guys, I think today, are watching um, the announcement right now, and a few uh, IG handles. And another way for us to stay connected with each other during the week is, of course, through small groups. Um, small groups are a great place for us to connect with each other and go deeper into the message um, that's from Sunday. Um, we have various groups for different stages of life, so you can um, talk to the greeters if you guys want more um, information. Some are meeting on Zoom and others in person, I believe. Okay. In addition to all the social media platforms and small groups helping us stay connected, we also have books that can help you um, stay connected with God during the week. You can purchase the following resources on the screen um, for yourself or for your friends and families at the 180 Cafe outside. Uh, these include the books uh, for devotionals and also Dr. Sammy's new book, A Holy Haunting, that was just released this week. And it was actually ranked number one on uh, different lists at Amazon. So you guys can definitely go check that out and leave your reviews. Um, and also while you're at 180 Cafe, checking out those uh, resources, you know, they say uh, feed two birds with one scone. You can also get some merch. <laughs> so there are hats, t-shirts and hoodies that you guys probably have seen other people wearing. You guys can also look as cool as them by purchasing those items. Um, all the purchases mentioned so far are based on an honor system, so you can pick them up and pay through the method you saw earlier. Um, next, we have prayer, hot prayer hotline. Um, some of you guys have probably experienced the power of prayer, and we want to experience that together as a community. Um, so if you or anyone in your life needs prayer, gather those people who can pray with or for you and you can share your prayer requests by emailing prayer at 180church.tv and everything you share will be confidential and that there will be a team praying for you on the other end. We also have, yeah, um, so Pastor Lydia recorded a beautiful piano instrumental with some worship songs and it's now available on 180 Church Studio. So you can check that out through iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. This would be another great resource for us to um, just stay connected with God throughout the week and also share with others. Lastly, we have different opportunities for us to serve. Um, 180 Cafe bookstore slash bookstore. We always need others who can come and help us make the tea or coffee for people coming in. Uh, children's ministry, we can also have you there to help our littlest members learn about God's love for them. We're always trying to have more techies help us build amazing things online. And also, we need a lot of greeters right now. And if you know how to say hello, then you are qualified. So um, introvert, introverts and extroverts all welcome. So yeah, please talk to one of the greeters if you are interested in serving. And those are all of our announcements for today.